Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is speaking to His disciples here, and He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning to each one of you. I'm glad to be with you to bring God's word to you. It's been a wonderful missions conference. Um, I have the joy of attending a good number of these, and I've really enjoyed this one and, and interacting with the other missionaries, and of course, uh, all of you here. I think it's been a couple years since I've been here and, and preached, so I'm glad to be back uh, with you. Again, my name is Doug McNutt, missionary with Trinity Center for World Mission uh, that plants seminaries in Africa. That's our focus. As we plant those seminaries, we hope to train pastors in the knowledge of the Word of God, and those pastors will plant or help create biblical and healthy churches, which will in turn make disciples. And that's the Great Commission, right? To make disciples. But that's our little piece of the Great Commission is this theological education component. So seminary planting in Africa is what I am up to these days. Uh, based north of Atlanta at the mission headquarters, but working in five countries, back and forth in East and Central Africa. Now I'm going to preach to you a missions sermon this morning. And then afterwards, of course, we have the faith promise, uh, giving the second passing of the plate there. And I'll ask the deacons if they could chain the doors at the end until we reach uh, the amount where we need to be, okay? So that's how it's going to work. Let's uh, pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you have given us a power from on high to do this work that you've commissioned us to do. We are not supposed to do it alone. Thank you for the grace of the Holy Spirit. May you be with us even now, and I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. My message is simple this morning. You're not supposed to do missions, and you're not supposed to do ministry without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the power of the Holy Spirit. This is experienced in different ways at times, and uh, you might say something like on a sliding scale. There's times when we, though we know we have the Spirit as believers, we feel that we have perhaps grieved the Spirit. We have outraged the Spirit. We have quenched the Spirit. It's as though He is locked in a back room in our, the, heart, the home of our hearts. But other times we are filled with the Holy Spirit and as if you're a believer, you know that experience. You know what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know that not only was there a once-for-all baptism of the Spirit upon the church in Acts chapter 2, not only is there the gift of the Holy Spirit 
upon every new regenerate heart that will remain with you. But there's also the filling, the ongoing filling and repeated filling of the Holy Spirit that is needed in a believer's life. And this is what I want to speak to you about this morning. For it is this experience and this power that will give you a fresh joy and strength and ability and motivation for missions and for mission, we might say right here at home as well, right? Ministry in the local church as well. That's what we all need, every single one of us. I remember when I was 17, soon after I was converted, I was living in Fort Lauderdale, Florida at the time. I was attending Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church under the ministry of D. James Kennedy. And it was largely through his preaching and the faithful preaching of our youth pastor that I, though I had grown up in the church and wandered away, returned to the Lord with all my heart. And I was very excited about the Lord. And I remember calling up my friends one evening and saying, let's meet together on the beach there of the Atlantic Ocean in Fort Lauderdale. And so one by one they came. About six of us gathered, my closest friends. And uh, we were all sitting on the beach there. And uh, they said, Doug, why did you call us out here? And I said, I don't know. I just felt led to do that by the Holy Spirit. And I did bring my guitar, so why don't we sing some some songs together, and we began to sing. And it was an amazing experience. The Holy Spirit fell upon us in a very powerful fashion for some reason that evening. And we all began to weep as we sang, and we prayed for about an hour on end around in that circle. Um, Even some of these guys who had been kind of on the fence, as it were. And I remember right in light of that experience, walking back to my car in the parking lot, and uh, there was a couple, there was a young couple sitting on a bench. And, you know, here was this 17-year-old guy, but we had the Holy Spirit. And I just said to them, I don't know if you guys know Jesus or not, but you really need to know him. He's awesome. Walked back to my car, said, see you later, have a good night. That was, that was, that was all I knew to do at the time. But I was excited, however lacking in knowledge I may have been, I was excited about the Lord, and I was so excited about the Lord. I wasn't excited about evangelism. I was excited about the Lord. I don't think anyone gets excited about evangelism in a sense. People get excited about the Lord, and because they're excited about the Lord, they do evangelism. You witness. You're a light. You end up being a light because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, if you are a true believer, in some way or another, you have experienced what I'm talking about here. And if perhaps you have not, as I go through this message, and you realize, I've never experience the Holy Spirit like that, then perhaps it's time to conclude that you are not a Christian and you are in need of being born again even this very morning, right? Now, rewind to one month ago, and I'm sitting on an airplane coming back from Africa after a long season of ministry there for several weeks on end, just 24-7 going three different countries, and it's the second flight. I haven't slept in 36 hours, and as we get onto the flight, the neighbor's sitting next to me there. I just put on my headphones, sort of tired and worn out, and I watch the entire trilogy of The Matrix in a row, the entire flight, and I don't even greet my neighbor, let alone 
share anything with them from the Word or pray with them. Nothing. Just total spiritlessness, you might say, in that moment. Now, it's not just because I was, you know, tired and worn out or um, feeling like an introvert in the moment, but it was mainly because I was lacking the Holy Spirit. I didn't have that motivation or that desire to share at all. I just wanted to stay in my little comfortable corner of the window seat of the airplane and, and not interact with anyone at all. Just do my thing, right? So what was the difference? What was the difference between those two experiences and many others that I could cite just like one or the other of those, right? The difference, of course, was the powerful presence or lack thereof of the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. So God did not intend you to do mission work or to do any ministry, even in the local church, apart from His Holy Spirit. Now, I know how it works. I've been in ministry for a while, right? There are times I showed up at a church and preached because my name was in the bulletin, and you had to do that that morning, even though that's not what you felt like doing. And there's times when you're teaching Sunday school, and you know what? you got to show up and teach no matter how you feel when you wake up that morning because your name's on the door as the Sunday school teacher, right? You've got to show up and do the work of the Lord, okay? And none of us <laughs> are filled 24-7, 100%, okay, until we get to glory and then we experience God's presence in all of its fullness, right? We're all sinners. We all grieve the Holy Spirit through our sins. We all outrage the Spirit at times, we quench the Holy Spirit in our lives. We tell Him no, and we tell Him to go away and to stop bothering us. You know, we, don't, we want to kick against the goads, just like the Saul was doing before he was Paul, right? And there's even examples of apostles after they're converted like Peter, still kicking against the goads, right? So that's the necessity of the Holy Spirit. We, we need Him, and we need a repeated experience of the filling of the Holy Spirit, which especially comes through prayer, especially comes through our prayer lives, getting alone with God and seeking Him in His Word. Because when you look at verse 8 of chapter 1 in Acts, this is Jesus before He ascends back to the Father, what you might say final instructions before leaving, right? If Kelly is leaving, my wife, she's leaving the kids at home for a weekend, she might leave final instructions sitting on the kitchen table for them, right? These are some of Jesus' final instructions. And he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So I'm not just making this up. This is what Jesus told us. This is how it's supposed to work, if you're doubting me right now. Then what happens? And you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We've often heard the second part of that uh, preached and expounded, perhaps. You know, the concentric circles of missions, right? That's true. I think we get that. But what about the first part of that verse? You need the power of the Holy Spirit to be upon you to do that work. And if that's lacking, you need to know how to go and to seek His face, to wait upon the Lord, and to ask, as Jesus said, will not the Father in heaven Give of the Holy Spirit to those who ask, and the Greek word for ask and pray are the same word, eukomai. Will not the Father in heaven give of the Holy Spirit to those who pray 
So all you must do is pray and ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to give you power to do this ministry, and that's the grace that you need to do it, and you cannot do it in your own strength. You cannot. You can try. I've tried it before. It, it becomes a drudgery real quick, doesn't it? You know, when you have to show up and teach Sunday school or you have to be there every time the doors are open, you're like, I don't, you know, I'm not even enjoying this. Why am I even here on a Sunday morning? I'd rather be at home in my lazy boy. When the Holy Spirit comes, that changes. Now you're excited to worship. Now you're excited to do ministry. Now you're there every time the doors are open at church, but you're also involved in leadership teams, and you want to see the kingdom of God advance in Bruton, right? And you want to see it spread throughout the whole world, and you're excited to hear about what God's doing in South America and what God's doing in Central America, what God's doing in Africa and India and Southeast Asia and Iran even. God's at work. He always is at work. He's at work right now, right in this room. Are you aware of His presence even here with us this morning, right? He is, see, God is omnipresent. He is always with us, right? The only question is, are you aware of His presence? Are you in tune with His presence? Are you inviting Him willingly into your heart and saying, yes, endue me and imbue me with power from on high to do your work? to worship you, to be zealous for the Lord's house and for the Lord's kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. You'll have everything that you need to do the work of the Lord. So Jesus gives us this command that you're not supposed... He even tells them in another passage, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high, right? Don't go out to the ends of the earth yet. Hold on. Don't go yet. Wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high, right? So there's a necessity of the Spirit. Twice in the book of Ephesians, Paul commands us, be not filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, step one. And he also says, praying at all times in the Spirit, Ephesians 6. So it's also a command that Paul gives in the latter chapters of Ephesians, twice. That is a direct, didactic teaching command from an epistle. You say, well, some things in the book of Acts don't apply to us. Well, here's commands from you, from the Apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, twice. Be not filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, number one, command, and also praying at all times in the Spirit, right after the armor of God, Ephesians 6. So these are commands, but it is a command of grace, we might say, God wants to give you this grace. He wants to give you a power that is beyond yourself, right? And that's what I learned early on in ministry is it's not about you. It's not about how amazing you are or you're an amazing Christian. You know, you're a, you're a, a missionary or a preacher superstar. You're going to go change the world. It's about everyday people being filled with the Holy Spirit and going out and preaching the gospel. And all of you should preach the gospel. All of you should preach the gospel. When the believers went to Antioch and planted that first church, there was not an apostle among them. It was just believers who went there for business. And guess what happened? They planted a church. In Africa, very beautifully, ruling elders plant churches all the time in Africa. Now, this is a place that is revival status, we might say. Hundreds of millions of conversions over the last hundred years there. Ruling elders plant churches 
in Africa. It's amazing to see all the people of God take it upon themselves to do work of ministry week in and week out. Jesus does not expect any missionary, any preacher, any officer, any believer to be an effective witness for Him unless you receive the power of the Holy Spirit from on high. And actually, this is a very freeing thing. You may say, oh no, another command being laid in upon me this morning. I have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh no. In addition to all this, in addition to having to bring two dishes to potluck and (laughs) have to watch the kids next week during kids' church. No, this is a very freeing thing. Because it's not about you. It's about, that's the whole point, is that you can't do it in your own strength, right? You must have another come with you and be with you. And he will work through you. Then, it, then you disappear. You fade into the background. And it's God being, doing his work through you, right? So you might not even be conscious. Today I'm going to do evangelism, you know, from 4.30 to 5.30. But you just happen to be at the, at the cashier checkout and you invite someone to church and you tell them about Jesus because the Lord enabled you to see this person for who they are, someone who needs Jesus, right? So the Holy Spirit just instantly does things like that. He automatically witnesses through you when He's with you. So that's always step one, is just simply that the Holy Spirit would be with you, right? That you would learn to cultivate and to practice His presence. And again, we have the once-for-all baptism of the Spirit upon the church, which is the first wave of this, you might say, Jesus was predicting, that the Holy Spirit would come upon the church in Acts 2 in a way, both in terms of quality and quantity, he had not in the Old Testament era, right? But then there's the gift of the Holy Spirit upon every new believer. So let me be clear. Every Christian, true Christian, has the Holy Spirit. But again, the filling of the Spirit is what I'm emphasizing this morning. Don't lock him in that back closet of the, the, the room of the house of your home, you might say. Allow him to be in every room, you know, let him invite guests in, right, and let him do his work in your life. Don't put him away. When you look, when you fast forward to the seventh chapter of Acts, and we're looking at verse 51, we're going to see what happens with Stephen, the first martyr, when he's standing before the crowd, right? And he really, really made this crowd angry. Why? Because of what he said in verse 51. He says in verse 51 of the, of the seventh chapter of Acts to this very angry crowd, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And in the, then in verse 55, it says about Stephen, but he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And in a sense, though it may not be so explicit as that experience Stephen had of, of, of that visual, you might say, we all need that same experience. You need to look into heaven and to see the glory of God and Jesus at the right hand of God. And it's that vision that will drive you forward in missions. It's that vision that will drive you forward in the work of the kingdom of God locally. That Christ would be among us, that Christ's glory would be lifted up and exalted by all. 
missions, you see, devolves into foreign aid. Foreign aid. When missionaries lose the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. Can I say that again? Missions devolves into foreign aid when the missionaries lose the power of the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel. You don't believe me? Dr. Hart in his journal in the Outlook in 1997 says, In 1932, the controversial survey of American Protestant missions called Rethinking Missions appeared under the auspices of seven denominational missions boards, including the Northern Presbyterian Church and funded by the Baptist oil magnate and philanthropist John D. Rockefeller, Jr. This report stated that the purpose of missions was to seek with people of other faiths a true knowledge and love of God and express in love and word what we have learned through Jesus Christ. Christianity was not hostile to other world religions, but instead fulfilled them. For this reason, the report persuaded missionaries to enlarge their understanding of salvation. Evangelization was no longer the primary motive for conducting missions because humanitarian services such as education and medicine had religious value in themselves. Now, I don't know what you're doing, but it's not missions and it's not ministry if we are not preaching the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We can use many opportunities, including medical, including education and mercy ministries, to find a way to preach the gospel. But we always must preach the gospel at the end of the day. Local evangelism will be virtually non-existent <laughs> unless you are clothed with power from on high. Mm. The filling of the Holy Spirit is needed, beloved. I remember when I moved to a small town in Alabama where Kelly was from, and I, w I was working for five years as a youth pastor and evangelist in that, that First Presbyterian Church. And I was granted permission by the session to start an evangelism Bible study. Evangelism Bible study, right? And uh, I had made the radical move of having this Bible study be a little bit different from normal Bible studies where we would study evangelism for six weeks, but then the last four weeks we were going to go out <clears throat> and we were going to evangelize on the streets, door to door. And um, people didn't know this when they first came to the Bible study, by the way. <laughs> so the first meeting, the new guy in town, you know, something new, something exciting, about 30 people showed up. It was, the, you know, one of the largest Bible studies that had ever been, you know, been uh, put on. I mean, the room was packed, you know. There was, there was an excitement. What's, go, what's, what's the new thing going on? And sure enough, the first week I announced that we would study evangelism for six weeks, and then for a, after that we would go out for four weeks and practice what we had learned in order to more effectively be able to share in our daily lives the Word of God in a cohesive fashion. When that announcement was made, I noticed that the attendance of the Bible study began to go down every week. And by about week five or six, I was thinking, maybe there's an illness going around or something like that in the church. Uh, we, we seem to have dwindled down. And um, 
by the time the first week for going out came around, we had about five of us there. And uh, we prayed. And we went out door to door and we shared the good news of Jesus Christ in a very simple way. And we kept doing that. And some of us persisted as a team in doing that in town. And all of a sudden, someone got saved. And then another person got saved. And we started seeing people come to salvation in Jesus Christ and start showing up at church. And things got real exciting. And people from different backgrounds were there. And people began to get excited about the kingdom of God. They're saying there's something, wow, there's a power available I didn't know about that maybe God is able to change hearts still in America today. Maybe God is still powerful to move in your midst and fill you each with the Holy Spirit and give you each a ministry, enable you each to preach the gospel in the context that God has given you. He is able to do that. Here's a suggestion. Don't start an evangelism group. Start a prayer group with the express goal of being filled with the powerful Holy Spirit and then just see what He does. Just see what He does. And as a mentor of mine put it, don't pray for revival. Have revival prayer. And there's a difference. Pray for revival is, you know, one day, Lord, maybe revival will come. Revival prayer is, that's good too if he chooses to work on a massive scale like that. But revival prayer is saying, you know, it's like drawing a circle in chalk on the ground and you stand inside of the circle and you say, Lord, revive everything inside of this circle, which means revival starts with you. I often put it this way. Um, We are each required to maintain what we might call our personal campfire of revival, a personal campfire. You need to keep that fire stoked of love for God, which only comes from the grace of the Holy Spirit. So your personal campfire you need to maintain. And then we bring those fires together as a church, and you have a church bonfire, okay? You have a church bonfire. People are like, oh, something's happening at that church. It's alive. The Holy Spirit is there. People can see it even from a mile away, right? When it comes to a big bonfire, right? You light the whole church on fire. And then maybe, just maybe, there will be a forest fire in town where it catches something and even other churches and other believers start receiving the Holy Spirit in a powerful fashion. People move from nominal religion to born-again, spirit-filled religion. That's a beautiful thing to see. Beloved, let me tell you something this morning. We cannot do anything without the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Let's pray once again and ask for that power to come down from on high. Father, I pray for this church. I thank you for this church, for their powerful preaching of the gospel, not only from the pulpit, but in their subsidizing of missions around the world and of their desire even to see Bruton reached for the gospel, to see Christ lifted high in Alabama and in America as well. Thank you for that zeal, that love for missions far and wide and also mission at home for Jerusalem, 
Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But we know that they will not be able to continue doing that. They will not be able to effectively do that unless they remain right here and have the power of the Holy Spirit clothe them from on high. So I pray for each person in this room this morning, Lord, whether it is someone who has never tasted or experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit and therefore is not a believer, that they would be regenerated, converted, and born again even this morning, Lord. I pray for the wandering believer who's soaked down and bogged down in sin, Lord, that you would revive them, grant them the fresh gift of repentance that the kindness of the Lord leads us to, and you gently receive us back, just like the Father with open arms, receiving back the prodigal son with joy. And I pray for those faithful believers here, Lord, that are showing up every week, doing the work in and out, and serving you in this town, that you would give them a fresh joy, a fresh spark, Lord, a fresh desire to witness that only comes because of your presence in their lives. And so it all depends upon your presence, Holy Spirit. Come now and be with us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.